Hi, I'm Paul Camillos. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavin for Series 4 of Shooting the Breeze. We cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We talk to inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends behind the scenes and at the grassroots of the game. During this series we'll be covering the FIBA Women's World Cup where the 12 best teams of the planet are coming to Sydney. And of course, we'll be covering Australia's longest running women's professional sporting league, the WNBL, in its 43rd season. Hit that subscribe button, like and review so we can get more Hoops content to you. You know, a lot of hard work. There's a lot more that goes into it than just rocking up and, and speaking. I put a lot of time into my research and understanding the players and and not only just as players, but what they do off the court as well. So, but don't get me wrong, it, it comes with, uh, you know, people also have an opinion about you and what you say as well. The FIBA Women's World Cup has just started, and in this episode, our 99th, if you include specials and bonuses, we're featuring former Opal and ESPN commentator Jenny Screen. Jenny takes us through her coaching with the NBA Basketball Without Borders for Asia, recently held at the AIS, with baby Edie, who was strapped in for the ride, and who can forget that image. She provides amazing insights into her transition from player to commentary, and how that rounds out her coaching and intel of the game. As a regular guest speaker on the basketball circuit, she imparts a lot of wisdom for younger players and gives us an honest view into that famous 2006 World Cup gold medal. As part of the ESPN Broadcast World Cup crew, Screeny will sit courtside, mic in hand, as her Opal sisters battle it out with the world's best. It's another awesome episode. We hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining us, myself and my co-host Jacinta Govind, it's Jenny Screen. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys, for having me. How exciting. World Cup just around the corner and uh, it's women's hoops uh, all over Australia at the moment. Absolutely. It's a great time to be into women's hoops and... Like you said, World Cup just around the corner. I know. I remember when it was like 100 days and the countdown was happening and we were doing the um, the show or the, I should say the the film into the Opals and the heart of the Opals, which I think is going to be released during the World Cup as well. And, you know, and in between there, the midst, I had a child and it's just crazy. It just, you know, it's, time waits for no one. It's the one constant in life. And uh, no doubt those 12 girls are excited. Three days' time they'll be hitting the court on home soil. Absolutely. Can't wait for that first game either. No, either can I. I will be uh, with ESPN and I'll be calling the game and uh, I'm really excited. I'm unsure what's going to happen or transpire, but I'm uh, obviously an avid fan and uh, a supporter of the Opals and our brand and what it stands for. And I'm excited. For some reason, I have this really, really good feeling and you know, and I hope the girls do too. And this is a, a new chapter for them, uh, given the last kind of 12 to 24 months, if you will, that they've had. And yeah, there's nothing but excitement for me. And I'm no doubt the rest of the girls feel the same. And I can speak openly and honestly for a lot of past Opals that they feel exactly the same way. 
Yeah. Have you had much um, like involvement and contact with the current Opal squad heading into the World Cup? You know, do you pop in and give some words of wisdom or, you know, just check in with Sandy and Trish Fallon as well? No, I haven't, to be honest. I've been a little bit uh, preoccupied by cleaning nappies and, and looking after a five-month-old. And there's lots of, they've, they've called upon a lot of past Opals uh, from various generations. I know Christy's been involved with it. I know that, you know, uh, Lauren was before she made the team. There's been a few, so um, which is good to know that they're calling upon past Opals to be a part of it. I know Laura Hodges has been involved as well. So that's the exciting part. And that's the greatest thing about having a World Cup on home soil is that it's a reunion for every single age bracket or person that's doing the green and gold, regardless of whether it's a World Cup, Olympics or a uh, Commonwealth Games, if you will, a FIBA tournament. Everyone's using this as an excuse to get together. So how exciting is that, that you're going to have opals from the 1960s, 70s, all the way through to the current in one great city that is Sydney? Because I heard as well that, you know, yeah, given that we're the host nation, that, uh, you know, like you were saying, all the Opals past and present are going to be sitting in their own section at the World Cup. Is that right? Yeah, they are. Um, well, they will be. I won't be. Uh, I'll be uh, courtside. Well, I'll be a little bit closer and probably a little bit more focused. I'm sure they will be enjoying a, a wine or two, shall we say, um, supporting the girls in the green and gold at the moment. But, yes, that will be occurring. There's been a lot happening um, on the backside with through Lorraine Landon and Marion Stewart has got back involved. She was our team manager for, you know, almost two decades and uh, she's in, involved again. So it's going to be exciting time and, uh, you know, a nice excuse for, for everyone to get back on the bandwagon and support, you know, the past, the present, but also the future that is the women's basketball in Australia. We were talking about this a few weeks back and we kind of call it that we're pretty confident that the Opals are going to make the gold medal game. Cool. Yep. I uh, look ballsy. Ballsy yeah. guys. Yeah. I like it though. You've got to be all in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the, the, the my team- heart my heart tells me that and I want that. My head tells me otherwise, but I think at the end of the day, anyone can handle any outcome as long as we know they've tried their hardest. you know, and that they've had each other's backs. And you can tell when a team is just trying their hardest and working their guts off and doing everything they can. And if the scoreline still doesn't transmit and they're in that winning column, I think you can go, well, we tried everything, we did everything, and we just, you know, we got beaten by a better team. And I think they'll be on the podium. And I love that you guys are going one further and and potentially going gold. How good would that be? It's a story, you know, that will be written for the ages. And I hope that that does become the case and that, you know, it's not only the first gold medal at a World Cup, it becomes the second one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, personally, the way this team is looking, I can't see them not making the gold medal game. Well, they're big. They're tall. Yep. You know, I think when I look at the inclusion of the team and and the nucleus of the team and and then obviously having Lauren back in, you know, the schedule's actually in their favour in terms of looking after Lauren. So they're going to have to be smart in the way they manage her. She's probably not going to have to play against Mali. She's going to probably have limited minutes against Japan because she's not going to be able to contribute a lot or potentially to the way that's needed for those type of games. So that's great because she can, you know, be a powerhouse against Serbia, be a powerhouse and a a threat against France, which is going to be 
more important in terms of us getting to the quarterfinals. Just get to the quarterfinals. Focus there, you know, let's focus on the process rather than the outcome and and hope that they get to that point. And then once they get to that point, you know, as much as it is hard work, there's a lot of luck that comes with quarterfinals, semifinals and gold medals. Yeah, that's when it gets unpredictable. Round games and finals games are on paper similar, but in reality so different because it's so unpredictable. There's something in the universe in the air, be it luck or whatever, but finals time is just a whole different thing. Yeah, and the biggest one that you'll ever play is the quarterfinal. You know, the semifinals and and the, um, you know, your 75% chance of a medal and then, uh, you know, gold medal, you guaranteed a medal. Uh, You just don't know which colour yet. The quarterfinal, you lose and you're going home. That's the game you can't afford to lose. And we've had a a bit of a track record of having an issue with that recently. But, uh, you know, the girls got silver at the last World Cup. You know, they know what it's like. A lot of those girls are returning. They're a lot older. They're more mature. When I look at the age group of the girls that we have also, apart from, Lauren, who's now up the average of the team by a substantial amount. Sammy Whipkins, then the next one that comes in at 34 years of age. And then the rest are in their, you know, in the prime. They're in their early 20s, mid 20s. And to be honest, from a physiological point of view, a female basketballer doesn't actually reach their peak until they're about 28, 29, 30 years of age. So a lot of these girls have a lot of international experience under their belt at a young age. And now we're just seeing them come into their own individually on the world stage. And like you said, it could be a gold medal. I guess watch this space. All right. So let's talk about the NBA Basketball Without Borders. I'm sure there's people who actually don't know what the program's all about. So why don't you give us a rundown on the program and what you did and how you were involved with it? Yeah, look, they came knocking to me uh, probably a month out from it. And and to be honest, before that, I really had no idea about what it was either. It has been predominantly a obviously MBA male focused program. There's only been two times in Australia. And this was the second one that they've had it here on home soil. And we had the last one was in Melbourne and that had a female cohort as well. So it's only slowly graining traction in terms of having the women and the men together at the same camp, which is exciting given the, the global status that is the NBA and it's where they they handpick if you will um, some cream of the crop of all kids within the Asia Pacific continent region so we had kids from anywhere from Afghanistan to to Indonesia to uh, New Zealand and then Australia and and beyond in the women's program there was about 35 athletes and in the boys there were 60 uh, to pick from so there's a there's a vast array of talent and obviously there's a vast array of English-speaking people as well. So a lot of these puppies, and we're talking kids, they're, you know, 16-year-olds, some of them don't speak English. Their English is not their number one language. They're coming to a foreign country that doesn't speak their home language. And But the greatest thing about that is that basketball is a world game and it only needs one leather ball, whether it be a size six or a size seven, and that's your commonality between a group of girls or boys. And that was what I loved about it, that these kids get exposure to a cultural change 
and then having to step outside their comfort zone in terms of learning the game at an international level. We had elite, elite coaches uh, from the NBA and NBA players and also WNBA FIBA represented players at this camp and that just gives them exposure and, and it's basically to give these kids an opportunity that, you know, the likes of Josh Giddy came through this program, the likes of Josh Green as well had exposure in this camp as well back in 2018. So, and there'll be more. There'll be more kids that get exposure in this NBA camp circle that go on to bigger and greater things throughout their career. So, yeah, I got the tap on the shoulder and I couldn't say no to this opportunity and uh, took my daughter up there without her consent and joined the party, if you will. Age of consent's only six months, so you've got a month to go. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for letting me know that. I had no idea that was the case. And this is coming from a childless person, so I don't really have the authority to say that. But uh, <laughs> um, from that, based on that camp as well, I love that these camps are popping up more and more and especially love that uh, a lot of the media were invited to that particular camp too so we could start exposing these opportunities more and more and these kinds of programs that are happening internationally and based on that camp you know and working with the female program there what's your forecast for the future of um women's basketball around the world uh well considering it's asia and obviously japan was represented there too uh japan are just going to get better and better uh i hands down we know that they're they're doing really well at the senior level their juniors coming through the the couple of girls that they had there at the camp were exceptional on par I would say probably even better than some of the Australian kids we had at the camp and the New Zealanders as well but you know there's a there's a big difference between junior talent and senior talent Uh, we've got to keep in mind too that the kids sometimes that are great at junior level don't actually make that transition into the senior level Uh, there's a lot of moving parts and you know growing maturation interest levels things change life changes but hopefully you know, little camps like these, as you said, Jacinta, and exposure just gives them a taste of like, oh, I can do this. Oh, I can compete at this level. Oh, I can learn this and take this back to my home country, which may be a third world country um, that doesn't have the luxuries that we have here in Australia to develop talent. And they can go back and take some, you know, things that they've learned from these camps and and make their teammates better or their coaches better and so on. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think these camps are valuable, they're important, and I'm excited to see these continue. They're in Egypt at the moment, you know, with the Africa camp as well, which is exciting to see. Um, So, you know, hopefully I get a call back. I loved it. It was great fun. It's interesting that they've gone over to Africa as well because, yeah, we've had Liz Mills on on the show a few times. And she's always been talking about the quality of the talent that's over in Africa that, you know, the honest truth is we know nothing about them. No. And to be honest, there's a lot of talent in our own backyard. I mean, Mm. we have a lot of Sudanese culture. uh, We have a lot of Indigenous culture. And we know that Patty is trying to make inroads there with the Indigenous Basketball Association, the IBA, and, and trying to be a vocal standpoint for them and get them involved and I guess, be the light for them that if he can do it, then they can too. And getting them to amalgamate with the, I guess, the pathway, people like myself, um, the the white folk that have the opportunity and the privilege of being a part of. And it's the same with the Sudanese culture. There are a lot of 
parents, if you will, that have migrated to Australia who have either had children here or brought children that are young um, and now are growing up in the basketball ranks. And I see kids all the time in my job with Basketball Victoria in the pathway that young women, young men, and, you know, I think it'll be only a matter of time before you see a lot of these kids partake in not only a junior level, uh, you're seeing it with Ezzy Magbagor uh, in the seniors as well. There's another young kid, Nadio Poch, coming through Australian with a Sudanese background that are going to, you know, make basketball in Australia better. And uh, I'm excited for the future on the female side and I know exactly it's happening on the, uh, on the men's side as well. So, you know, yep, Africa has untapped talent, but I, I know there's a lot of untapped talent out in Australia as well. we just got to go looking for it. But we've got to fight against football and netball as well, which makes it really hard. It's funny you say that about netball because the other day I was reading something where because of the, what's going on in netball at the moment, all their fans are saying, are we going to lose all our players to basketball? I think so. Come on over. Yeah. Come on <laughs> over. I've ever heard someone say that, ever. Yeah, no, no. I, was, I was like, I had to look twice and I thought, oh, I, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll take them, no problems. We'll take yeah. them. We're both going to lose to AFLW if we're being serious. Yeah, I mean, look, I think basketball's special in the fact that we're an Olympic sport. So that is the one selling point that neither of the other sports, and they're great in their own right, but they can't hang their hat on being an Olympic sport. We are an Olympic sport. We're played in over 220 countries in the world. So if you can make it in Australia in basketball and then you can go to the next level internationally, then you're pretty darn good in comparison uh, compared to netball and and to football. Yep, we're going to continue to lose out. I'm all for athletes or young players I shouldn't say athletes because I don't think they are but I'm all for young players having exposure to all sports I think lateralization is very very important I played netball I loved it it taught me so much about moving in small spaces foot speed learning how to pass the ball Uh, that's where I learned how to pass that was from netball uh, not from basketball I didn't start playing basketball until I was 14 years of age so I hope my daughter doesn't play AFLW, not because I don't want her to. I'm just a little bit scared. I don't, you know, and I was a tough player, but, oh, I went and watched Hawthorne and Essendon play on the weekend at Marvel Stadium, and I actually really loved it, to be honest. It was really enjoyable watching it live, but I'm just like, oh, the hits, and I'm just like, oh, I just, it scares me. It just scares me. But all credit to those girls that play those combat and, and, um, you know, high octane contact sports. It's intense. I just could never do it myself. <laughs> yeah. We had Amber Merritt on a little while back. And I got to say, I, I used to play rugby as a kid. The wheelchair basketball oh, yeah. athletes, they scare me. Yeah. But it, it is, that is an astoundingly physical sport. Yeah, the wheelchair rugby is intense. I got first exposure to that in Sydney 2000 Olympics when I was a volunteer under the AIS program and we did wheelchair basketball. Oh, the burnt rubber smell on the court (laughs) and then the smashing and then just the way they threw their bodies around, it was intense. Like, And then you'd have to run on and, and help them get back up and... But it also gave you perspective on what is capable for the oh, human yeah. body, even if you don't have all limbs. And I, I was just blown away as a 17-year-old, both for wheelchair basketball but also for wheelchair rugby. I, I just thought it was fabulous. So it excites me that our sport can entertain a lot of different minorities, which I think is great. 
Now you mentioned that you're you've got a a five month old. How's that been for you? You know, I mean, you know, you, you've been pretty open with your story. Said, how's it been being a mum, taking her to basketball without borders? What does that all mean for Jenny Screen? <laughs> I don't think it means anything. It just means I'm I'm another mum. Um, I'm a working mum, and you know, my mum herself, she played. When I was a little kid, I remember—I don't remember—but she tells me stories of she used to breastfeed me in timeouts or when she played, and I used to be—I grew up in change rooms with women. Like it, it was no different for me. So, as a child, then I just feel like as a parent, it's no different. I have a very supporting husband, and I'm just the norm. Like there are many, many women that do exactly what I do, and probably even do it harder. Like I look at the girls that come back and play, and there's been plenty of those in the WNBL. Alex Bunton is for one. Carly Mirovic is another one, and I just think it. I mean, granted, I'm a little bit older than those girls at the ripe old age of forty, but I just don't know how they do it like I haven't run now for 18 months for fear of my insides are going to fall out of me or I might pee my pants for all our male listeners you need to appreciate and understand what the female form goes through and yeah I just you know I I'm never one to say no to any opportunity and even though my daughter is five months I think it's also great for her not that she'll ever remember it but I think growing up within sport, around people, um, especially given the last two years with COVID um, and the fear around interaction with people, I just think it only makes her a lot more manageable as a kid. I could just, here you go, here's my child, look after her, please, I'm busy. And I don't want to be touted a, a hero or someone special or a super mum. I'm just a mum and and I'm just lucky I have a great child that you know, that I don't have consent for, but will come on the plane with me and be on the court. But don't get me wrong, it's bloody hard. And I would be lying if I didn't say there were some days I want my old life back. But every time I look at her, I'm very acutely reminded of the 12-year challenge it was to bring her to this world. And I would never take that back in a heartbeat. So she makes our lives better and more exhausting and challenging. But I guess it also makes you realise what you're actually capable of as well. So, yeah, watch this space. I'm yet to have a, a full night's sleep yet, but uh, that's okay. That's, I guess, the life people will say listening, well, welcome to parenthood. And, yep, I chose this and I've wanted this for a very long time, so I'm very grateful she's here. And I think, though, like even the great examples you gave of you yourself growing up in that environment and that growing up as being, you know, very normalised for you, and your mom and the people in that community. And I think the difference being as well that that, you know, as time has gone on, it was probably a little bit more secretive, you know, back mm. in the day. And now more and more it is becoming more normalised and because, you know, people are, like yourself are still turning up and still being mums and still like that photo of you at the Basketball Without Borders camp where you've, you're coaching with Edie on your front. That is like an iconic thing. I'm so glad that that was captured because it is going to keep normalising and mm. uh, helping people understand that this is a normal thing for women in sport. Yeah. And it, I, still, and it is still, you know, women in sport's choice of if I want to go to work with my five-month-old on my chest, I'm, I'm going to do it because I'm capable of doing it. And I think more and more, yeah, it's just going to keep, you know, narrowing that gap of expectations and all those traditional expectations on women in sport as well like 
in the NBL One North final. I'm not sure if anyone else noticed, but Michaela Canfield Logan uh, was subbed off and breastfed her new baby, sub back on in the grand final. <laughs> what a bloody legend! I know. How great is that? Um, you know, and but that's the way it is. You know, and. Uh, I got asked, you know, is she a distraction? You know, are the kids distracted by her? And to be honest, I didn't even give it two thoughts. And no, because touch wood, I don't have a child that's colic or, you know, struggles with other people like some parents probably do. But I actually likened her to a little bit of a calming dog, um, an anxiety dog, you know, because a lot of these kids didn't speak English and they were in a foreign country, yet here's this baby and people know babies around the world and you don't need to speak English in order to be able to communicate to a baby. And here's all these young kids that are 16, 17, overwhelmed and anxious. And here's just this common thing that they can all just smile at and just get a bit of perspective and just breathe and go, oh, I'm okay. And if she's here, then maybe I'll be okay as well. If she can cope, I can cope. And when I, I didn't even think about putting her on my chest, it was just a thing. And I just you know, and that photo was beautiful, Jacinta, and it will be priceless for the rest of my life, regardless of where I go in basketball. But it does speak volumes for hopefully other people. But she was never a distraction. If anything, I was more worried that there's other photos where I'm covering your ears because I'm screaming. And I was scared I was gonna, you know, bust an eardrum or something. So here's me like covering her ears, but at the same time yelling profanity or whatever I was at the time at the girls or and they didn't even understand me because they can't speak English anyway. So but yeah, I it's it's just what it is and we're mums and we're working and I hope dads do it too. Like I just don't want mums to be doing it. I want dads to be doing it. Mm. I think that's important too. I have a great husband who's very supportive and he's about to take six months off to spend with his daughter when I return to work full time. And I love that. I love that he gets to be the stay-at-home, not stay-at-home, but the number one caregiver for our daughter and builds that relationship. And I hope that, you know, he's already taken her to work for some days and had her in there for a day. But it takes supporting organisations. It takes understanding employers and CEOs and managers to know that you can still be productive and have a child. Mm. They can both amalgamate and and I think you actually function a lot better. Mm. And uh, baby therapy, like pet therapy that you compared, is a thing. (laughs) I can confirm it is a thing because the times when I'm stressed out and then I go to my friend's house and meet the new baby, no stress, done, gone. (laughs) But I think like like what you said, it brings a smile to people's face when you see a baby and, yeah, that's the most natural relaxant out there is just trying to bring a smile to someone's face. Yeah. What surprised me? a lot is how quickly it's changed because if i think back to say back in 2012-13 one of the few players who would have a young kid around the courts in a wnbl was rahani cox Mm, rowie yeah so rowie would have it would have zoe around the court at practice or whatever but she was one of the very very few let's fast forward 10 years and everybody's going, yeah, it's okay. It's it's absolutely, there's nothing special about this, which is great. And it's happened in, in what is relatively a short space of time. Mm. Because I remember, you know, like I would take my kids to work when they were young 
and it was around about that same time. And it was always, this is a bit different. This is not the norm. People are kind of like, well, why are you doing that? So I'm glad to see it change so much. And I think even just photos like that is going to help reinforce for people, this is just a normal thing. There's nothing special about it. And the kids should be coming to hang out at the courts, to go to work, to do all that sort of thing. How much longer do we have to take before it becomes more widely accepted? That's... I think, well, I think, you know, the benefits sometimes with social media, and I'm not a fan at the best of times, but um, those things are important um, because they sell a very good story. But I also think, you know, you say it's taken some time, but then again, maybe I'm just lucky. I got exposed at a young age, not only in my own journey with my mum, but when I was at Adelaide Lightning in my early days, I had the likes of Rachel Spawn, Jay Kingy. She had a baby when she was 21 years of age mm. um, and was at her peak, not even her peak. Michelle Brogan was another one. You know, she had Bailey. We had kids galore. And I just, again, I think it comes back to the organisation what do they stand for? What do they want? The employer, the bosses, Jan was very accepting of any children around. And like I said, it was always they made training better. They were never a sore spot or a distraction. And, you know, perhaps back in those early 2000 days, because there was no social media, it didn't get highlighted or pronounced. But I'm glad now that we've come, you know, 20 years, oh my God, 20 years, Jesus, that makes me feel really old. Um, 20 years down the track, and yeah, these photos do reaffirm that we are capable, gender aside, male or female, to be able to bring our children to work, whether it be a sporting field or into a um, you know a business like uh, fraternity as well. Okay, and you, you said the magic words there, social media, and you're not a fan. No, no, <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, well, no, no, don't get me wrong. I think it has its place. Yeah, it's just how we use it, and I see the effects of it. At a at a junior level and at a, and an adolescence level in the not only just from a coaching perspective where I work but also I do a lot of stuff on the side with female and, and male empowerment and learning you know the identity of who we are as young kids and to be honest I would hate to grow up in this day and age um, because everything can be edited nothing is real and it's scary and it, it it's very worrying and I see it before my eyes of athletes and players not knowing how to navigate this space um not only at a junior level but i see it at a national level and it and it worries me that we we don't do a better job at controlling the narrative or what is being said or said about players to players directly indirectly you're seeing it in the nrl you know a lesser scale in women's sport, but it's there. We saw it in the NRL recently. Like, it's just freaking awful. Like, I don't even know if I could play now with the, I guess, the free-for-all for anyone to have an opinion about anyone else. It's it's just scary. There's the positives and negatives. I just think we have to do a better job on teaching our youth on how to use it positively. That's where I try and focus my attention on and I leave all the negative to the side and, you know, I don't have time. <laughs> Yeah, I was because what I wanted to find out is when you are dealing with the with kids like the ones you had at Basketball Without Borders, do you try to to get that message across to them about dealing with social media in a better way, or do you just totally ignore the subject? Totally ignore, like. 
Basketball Without Borders is not that place or domain. You get four days with the kids. It's more about the on-court stuff. And then exposure to off-court is cultural experiences. you got to understand a lot of these kids are coming from third world countries and probably don't even have phones. You know, they're coming from countries that probably don't even allow access to social media, which I'm not opposed to. So at, at their age. So, you know, those topics are not really spoken about. That needs to come to more our country, Australia, probably New Zealand to a lesser extent as well. But, yeah, no, it's not really touched on at that, but I can tell you I try and touch on it with, you know, the kids that I work with and my interactions with the youth. And But, you know, it's the one-hit wonders. Everyone wants that 10-second highlight reel that gets the likes because they want that, you know, validation automatic instant validation that is not real and it's just it's just scary that we live in that space but hopefully like everything you know skinny jeans we're in now it's we're back to the flares that it comes full circle and you know social media will lose its interest in some degree at some point <laughs> and the social media stuff too there's so much around you know c- comparing yourself to others and like you said but we're comparing ourselves to others when others are putting up things that aren't real I mean you know filters, editing, whatever. And it's so much uh, really high executive functioning and setting boundaries and understanding yourself enough and reflecting, you know, having the discipline to turn it on and off that you can't really expect kids to know how to do yet. No. It's addictive. They don't have that wide in their brain yet in a biological sense. Um, no. and, li- and listen, with skinny jeans, skinny jeans should never go away. Um, <laughs> well, they came to me right now. I am not on the record. We're from the era of skinny jeans and... Um, but I'm not wearing them now. Not five months postpartum, thank you very much. I'll stick with the wide leg. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you go what whatever you're comfortable with, whether it's wide leg or skinny, there is place for both of them this in is the true. landscape. This is true. So you're going to be calling the World Cup. Mm. How did you transition into commentary? Oh, I just have a big mouth, really. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, look, I've always been a student of the game. I'll go back even further. I had a mum who was a school teacher. I give huge props to my mum for my brother and I. She put us into speech and drama. We did a Stedfords when I was younger. I learned how to read poetry. And at the time, didn't think much of it, but was always, I got comfortable with public speaking and I got comfortable with being able to, you know, read and recite and do all those things. And then as I became a player and I was a student of the game and I love the intel of the game. I love the chess piece of the game. And I guess so I've just combined those two really um, and add my big mouth and not afraid to say what I think and and have an opinion and, and it's just a subjective opinion at that. But it's just kind of naturally evolved, if you will. I spend time on the guest speaking circuit. I work in schools. I guess it's the natural evolution and I've been very lucky and fortunate to be given a platform, you know, over the years with the WNBL from 2014 when I dabbled in it as I was getting close to retirement. And then, you know, in the last couple of years with the NBL, I I just kept knocking on the door with the NBL, to be honest. Every year I just said, hey, I'm here. And I remember my dad's always said to me, a, a squeaky wheel will always get oiled. So I just kept sending emails, kept sending, I'm here, I'm happy to do this for free, I just want to crack, just give me a go, give me a go. And, you know, I'm grateful for them three years ago now giving me an opportunity to call an NBL game and and also work on the sidelines in the commentary team. So, yeah, it's been 
you know, a lot of hard work. There's a lot more that goes into it than just rocking up and and speaking. I put a lot of time into my research and understanding the players and and not only just as players, but what they do off the court as well. So, but don't get me wrong, it it comes with, uh, you know, people also have an opinion about you and what you say as well. So it's also hard in itself. Like I've gone from being a player when people had an opinion and now I'm on the other side in the media and, you know, some people like you, some people don't, and that's just the way it is and you just have to kind of get comfortable with that, which is really hard still as a person. I know when it comes to like listening back to our episodes of the podcast, I really struggle with it. You don't like listening to yourself? Well, it's funny. I've never listened to a WNBL or NBL game that I've ever done. <laughs> I uh, I also don't listen back. Truth be told, sorry, Mary, but I don't listen back to our podcast episodes. Yeah. Um, and I commentated the NBL One East Conference Finals on the weekend and some young commentators from another club came and said to me, oh, you know, we know that you've been doing it a little while. Do you ever go back and listen to some of the games so you can reflect on, you know, you know, what you did well, what you didn't. I said, no, no, never. I never go back and watch the games. I don't even like the clips that are on the NBL One social media sites where I'm in the background of a big dunk or a big block because, I mean, you can hear my voice. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I uh, I personally personally don't do that either. But um, the thing for me, like you were saying, uh, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. You work so hard to get to that spot that you wanted to to commentate the NBL. But my belief is that if you're still hired to do the job, if your boss is happy with the job that you're doing and you keep getting hired, then you must be doing something right. So all of the couch critics at home saying something else uh, can stay at home. <laughs> wow. That's fine. I mean, it's easy to throw words or rocks or whatever you want from the stands. I just, you know, I think if Theodore Roosevelt and if you're not in the the arena bloodied and, and covered in dirt, then you don't get a say. It's a lot harder than what people think. You know, when it's three, two, one, live, you're live, go, and you can't press pause and retake. Yeah, sometimes wish, hey, come have a go, come have a go, see how you like it, you know. But I love it. I love it for the intel. I know all the players in the NBL. It's great because they know who I am. So my interactions with them are good. And then from a coaching perspective, I love it too because I get to listen to every single, selfishly, I get to listen to every single timeout that's conducted in a game. And I get to take away things from my coaching hat my other hat that I wear and get myself better as a coach as well. So there's there's lots of reasons why I do it. And the reason I do it mostly is just to better myself, not just for the camera or for that kind of commentary, but for my coaching skill set as well. And uh, to use one of your own quotes, because uh, during the Opals and Japan friendlies games that we had in earlier this year, I think it was May, there were also some basketball New South Wales held events where yourself and Jan Sterling spoke, mm-hmm. um, particularly the Newcastle one. And one of your quotes that I wrote down, that's why I was checking my phone because I wrote notes during it. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> it looked, probably looked like I was texting, which looks really rude, but I'm like, I'm actually writing notes, guys. I'm writing notes. I'm being diligent. Basically, you were touching on female representation. If you can't see it, you can't be it. Or if you can see it, you can be it. So for me, seeing you doing the court side for NBL, I was like, oh, yeah, right, like why should we as female broadcasters be limiting ourselves just to do female sport? So, yeah, Yeah. so even though you're getting a lot out of it, there are people out here getting uh, something out of seeing you doing NBL courtside as well. 
Yeah, and I'm hearing it more and more, like in FIBA as well. You hear women calling the men's game internationally as well on on FIBA World YouTube channel. And I know in NBL One, there's you know there's a lot of cross intersection now between. It's not just you know males call males and females call females. I think that's exciting that you know slowly the the gender word is dissolving slowly, slowly. But it's, I'm, it's- I'm very lucky that I get to do both male and female. And people are surprised when I they hear that I do male games too, but I'm like, but it's the same game. So it doesn't matter. No, it's exactly the same game. And that's, yeah, I enjoy the men's game just as much as I enjoy the women's game for different reasons. Again, I will continue to keep writing those emails and, uh, you know, having a squeaky wheel. And if it gets oiled, it gets oiled. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I will never be afraid to ask. I think it's important also for women's basketball to have more female commentators because there's so few, particularly for the WNBL and even NBL1, there's so few. There needs to be a development of pathways to be able to allow them to get the experience to be able to do that. Yeah, well, I just think it's opportunity. More opportunity means more experience. More experience means um, more seats at the table. You know, uh, we just it's just the same with media coverage for women's sport until we get women's sport in mainstream more often, then it'll always be, oh, well, they're not viewed or they're not this. It's like, well, they're not given the opportunity. We're saturated in the market with the male sports, with the male entertainment, you know, give that same opportunity to women's sport. And I can guarantee you over time it will slowly change. You can see that not only in basketball, um, netball is a prime example, but also look at football. Women's World Cup will be in 2023 and I guarantee you stadiums will be sold out around Australia. Yeah, absolutely. And they had in the UK, the finals, it was sold out. Mm-hmm. I've said this before, I really liked the way the British team celebrated afterwards at the press conference. Mm, yeah. You know, it, was, it wasn't that polished media event. Yeah. They got in there and they, they had fun. And yeah. I think we need to see more of that as well. Oh, yeah. Well, you don't need to see it all because there's a lot that happens behind closed doors that needs to stay behind closed doors uh, in female sport, Um, you know, because that's what happens. And any sport, you know, it's the the common theme, you know, whatever happens on the road stays on the road, right? But I just want it to be the norm and I wish we get past the point of being surprised that stadiums are sold out Mm. and, you know, that, oh, women's sport, look at this, they've got a stadium that's this and that. It's just like, no, why why can't they? Why can't we? And um, I think it will slowly start to change. And But, yeah, there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of fun things that go on. Again, it all just comes down to exposure and getting opportunities to see things like the UK girls because it happens at all levels, Opals, Matildas, wherever. Yeah, but we need to see it. That, that, yeah. That's the point that I was – because usually those media events are so tightly controlled, you never get to see something yeah, like that happen. And I think you get – so many more people just engaging with the sport, with any sport, if they could see, oh, it's it's not that that polished show. There's, you know. They're normal. Yeah, they're, they're normal. normal, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You've been in the Opal squad. Mm-hmm. You're part of the team that got the gold medal at the World Cup. You've got a couple of Olympic medals. What was your most special memory out of that time? Um. <sighs> They're all special. I think the fork in the road moment, I think making the World Cup team 
was most special, not only because of the gold, but because of my journey to get there. So if we rewind three months earlier, and this is where, you know, it's a good lesson for everything. Don't believe everything you read or, and even less of what you hear, because I didn't make the Commonwealth Games team, even though every channel, Wikipedia, I think it's even on Basketball Australia's website that I made the Com Games team and I won gold. I didn't, I was cut. I didn't make the team. And I keep telling them, like, take it down and they just don't do anything about it. And I don't know who's in charge of my Wikipedia, but that's wrong too. And I'm not born in 1983, but I'll take that one for sure. <laughs> but I didn't make the team, uh, that Com Games team. Three months out, I got cut from that team and, and that was hard. That was on home soil. My then boyfriend, my now husband, he made the 06 Com Games team for the Boomers. His brother made the um, the Com Games as a 5K and 1500 metre runner and ran out in the MCG and they got to walk out and I didn't and that was gut-wrenching. That was the moment where I could have gone, okay, well, I'm never going to make this team because Jan's going to select this team in three months' time and I'm done, screw you, kind of opals, what's the point? But I didn't. I just knuckled down and went, okay, I'm still in the squad for the World Cup. It's not over. I'm going to work really hard. I went to the AIS. I trained with the under-19 gem squad at 25 years of age and I did some training there. I spent a couple of weeks at the AIS with all the young kids to stay ready for the next camp because I was coming back in. And then the rest is history. You know, three months later I'm standing on the podium with 11 other girls who I was fortunate enough to ride on the coattails with, some of the greatest that have ever done the green and gold or played in the world, and I got to have that gold medal. So that's probably the most special moment I would say. There's lots of others and we could talk for hours, but, yeah, that was probably the fork in the road kind of moment that allowed me to have then go on and play for the next 10 years for the Opals. What about some of the more memorable off-court moments when you're on some of the tours and some of the tournaments and training camps? And Because for me personally growing up, you know, I was lucky also to be in a couple of successful state teams in a very good age group. So, yeah, on-court experience was great. But off-court is the stuff that we always keep talking about. So I'm sure you've got lots of people's similar experiences. There's lots. There's lots I can't tell you. Yeah, um, sure enough. Yeah. That, you know, that inner sanctum, what stays on the road, what happens on the road stays on the road. But, you know, if I hit them quickly, 08, after we got silver, which was pretty devastating. We were devastated after we got that one. But you can look back a little bit now and, and be happy about it. But we probably had the team to get it. And then Penny going down in the quarterfinal really hurt us. But I'll never forget, you know, the sun's coming up uh the last day and I'm sitting there with Steve War and Johnny Eels and the rest of my opals and I'm smoking a cigar with Steve War, you know, the former captain of the Australian cricket team and and just, you know, celebrating life and the Australian opals. And here's this guy that has been put on a pedestal in his own sport and and has captained his own sport and here he is admiring the Australian opals and what we stand for and who we are. And that was just amazing in itself to be sitting there with him in China. Another one in 2012 with Laura Summerton or now Laura Hodges, my very, very dear friend, Prince William and Kate came to visit us and I was in physio. I bloody missed it. And I wanted to see, I came back thinking they'd still be there and they'd pissed off already and I wanted to see Kate. It wasn't about William. I wasn't interested in William. I wanted to see Kate. And so Laura and I, we were like, where are they? And they're like, they've gone that way. So we just 
high-tailed it, like bolted across what was commons in the village. They kind of tried to make it very English and we could see the security and the police and we're like, oh, and I, I remember yelling out, Oi, Will, and he turned around and I was like, and I'm running up and I'm like, where's your wife? And Because I think he thought it was for him. I was like, where's your wife? In a really ochre bogan Aussie accent. It was horrendous. And we're like huffing. I, don't, I think I sprinted more in that effort than I ever did on the court for the, in the 2012 Olympics. But we found her and it was right at the security gates and, you know, Laura and I had our moment and then uh, it took us about half an hour to walk back to the village because we were puffed. But that was one of the other exciting moments that I remember. And then, uh, yeah, there's lots of others, but, you know, they're probably two of the main highlights. And then, you know, when Lauren found out she was carrying the flag and then me kind of working out that she was carrying the flag but she wasn't allowed to tell anyone at that point, you know, going through that whole process with her, that was pretty exciting as well. There's lots of them. There's so many. You could write a book. Every Opals player could write a book. There's one question I want to ask you because I want your perspective on a question we've asked somebody else. Ooh. How did it feel when you realised for the World Cup we're going to get the gold? Hmm. Well, you don't really know you're going to get the gold until the siren goes at the end of the the gold medal game, right? That's where you you know. But when you're sitting in the crowd and you're watching Russia play USA and we're all sitting there and the only one that wasn't there was Penny Taylor because she had busted her finger and had a groin issue and was back getting treatment and she was watching it unfold back in the hotel and we're all there watching and Christy was the other one because she rolled her ankle. And after that game we all got her back on the bus and I remember I think it was Lauren or someone's like, don't show any emotion, just get on the bus, get on the bus, get on the bus. And as soon as we got on the bus, we knew. Like we knew we were going to win gold. We knew we were going to take Russia. I don't know why or how, but the excitement on that bus in that moment, and I don't know who else you spoke to, but that's how I remember it. That is the moment I knew, and it might be different to someone else, I I knew that we were going to win. And I know, and it shits me that people say, oh, well, you didn't play the USA. And it's like, no, we didn't. Russia beat them. But you know why we also didn't play them is because we were that bloody good that we won every single game that got us to that point that we never crossed over with the USA. So the only time we were ever going to cross the USA is in the final because quarterfinals didn't exist back then. So that's what people have to remember. They're like, oh, we didn't play USA, so how do you know if you ever won? It's like, well, no. We still beat every other team to get to that point. And in that tournament, USA didn't get there because of Russia. But I also think had we played USA, I think we would have won. We just had an amazing tournament. And like, you know, Jacinta, you said at the start of this podcast, some things just align and there's something in the air and sometimes you just win. And that was one of those tournaments. Everything clicked. We had two days together as a team before that World Cup, two days as a full team. And people don't remember that. Like we didn't have this big lead up. Girls were still playing in the WNBA in the finals and stuff like that. And we didn't have our first game, Lithuania. It was cancelled. They had to forfeit because they were stuck in quarantine because they didn't get their injections. So we missed the first game kind of getting your nerves out kind of thing. Again, people don't remember those things. But what we do have to remember is that we were one and two in the world for a very long time. And that's how you don't get to play America. Because the only time you ever really will meet with them, if all goes to plan, is in the gold medal. 
So we had to be pretty bloody good to get that far. But for me, to answer your question, as soon as I stepped under that bus at the stadium after Russia beat USA, I knew we were going to beat Russia in the gold medal game. Was that what the other person gave you? No. Ah! It was Tully. Oh, was it? What did Tully say? She said, oh, you know, it was towards the back end of the of the fourth quarter where it was like, yeah, we know. <laughs> <laughs> no. Are we talking about the same World Cup? I, you know, yeah, yeah, we are. We're talking about no. the same World Cup, uh, unless there's another gold medal in there that we don't know about. <laughs> no. I mean, if you're talking about Russia, I remember us playing Russia in Beijing and we're down 16 points in the third quarter, I think it was. And then, yep. We got a steam it. That was the game where I was like, shit. And it was halfway through the fourth. I was like, yeah, we're good now. But no, the World Cup game, maybe I was a little bit more confident. I don't know. But Holly's being a little bit more reserved. But for me, and the way we were playing and the way Penny was playing, the way Lauren played, the way Christy was controlling us at the point, the way Snelly was shooting it, the way Harley was coming down in transition, the way everyone played their goddamn role, and I can only hope that this girls at this World Cup here play their role, play exactly the way Sandy wants them, trust in their system, gives them that opportunity to get that gold because you just never know what might happen on those days. Okay, now, before we, we wrap this up, here's the one that's totally unscripted. You get no warning on. Um, <laughs> Love one of these. <laughs> Hit me. If you could be mm-hmm. any character from any movie who would you be? Uh, I would be, is it G.I. Jane? Yeah. I would be Demi Moore and G.I. Jane. <laughs> okay. We haven't had that one before. <laughs> no, that's very niche. <laughs> hey, look, if you're talking about women in sport, women in, you know, business, like there's your example and, Oh, she was a beast. I loved it. I loved everything she did in that movie. And there was one line, which I won't say, which I just loved as well, um, which sometimes I'd love to say to a lot of people, but I don't. But, yeah, for me, and don't get me wrong, and I just loved that she embodied, I think, everything that a female is. She went to her strengths. She, you know, that was her strength was being physical and and believing in herself. I don't know. Yeah, G.I. Jane for me. I've always loved her or what she stood for in that movie. Yeah, I don't know. I've never been asked that question, but there you go. There's my answer. That's a really good answer, though, and very quick to answer too because it does stump some people, understandably. So, yeah, yeah I could have gone with like an animated character. We've had a lot um, of those. Yeah, I haven't watched them for a while. Come back to me in a year when <laughs> I'm watching them with my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, nah, give me, yeah, give me a kind of underdog kind of story or person or yeah and narrative and i'll i'll take that any day so yeah gi jane there you go all right and what i kill for her body (laughs) (laughs) all right so jenny thanks so much for your time look i know as a parent at the age your daughter is i know exactly What it's well, like. she goes down at seven, so she's good. Fingers crossed yeah. she doesn't wait till seven in the morning. That's the plan. It doesn't always go to plan, though, like life. Yeah. And looking forward to listening to you on the call 
during the World Cup. Hopefully, we'll see you around the World Cup as well, and we can actually catch up in real life, which would be fantastic. Yeah, that'd be nice. Come and say hi and introduce yourselves. I'd like to meet you in the three D form rather than the two D form. And yeah, I think it's a it's exciting. There's going to be a lot of reunions, a lot of catch ups. It's a great space to promote women's sport, promote women's basketball, and let's hope that your belief of the girls getting gold comes to fruition. I will be backing that horse the whole way. And if I get the opportunity to call that game and we do, bloody hell, Lord, I'll have <laughs> fury like a girl that's excited about her fellow sisters winning gold. Oh, absolutely. I want you and Graffy. I want you and Graffy in the commentary box for those games. Oh, Jesus, we'd be, we'd be a blubbering mess. I would be bawling my eyes. Just like how excited Gazy got at the Tokyo Olympics when the Boomers won bronze. Mm. Yeah. Loved it. Loved yeah. it. So, yeah, no, don't hold back on, on being blubbering messes. It's, it helps shape the whole experience. No, it does. I wish the girls all the best of luck, but I, there's a little bit of luck, but a lot of it comes down to belief and hard work, and I know they've worked hard and they're ready and I'm excited to see what unfolds for them in the next three days. And sorry, did you mention as well earlier there's going to be like an Opals film that's going to be released during the World Cup? There is. I think on uh, the the day off, yeah, there's a documentary that's been done on the Opals from past to present and uh, that will be, I think, aired during that time. So watch this space as well. Hopefully you get a little bit of insight and a few more stories and anecdotes from all the years gone and the fabric, as I call it, that is the Opals. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I can't wait for that. Yeah. You'll see me crying in that one. (laughs) 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 Thanks so much, Jenny, and we're looking forward to seeing you at the World Cup and hearing you from the World Cup. No worry, guys. Take care and uh, all the best and love all the work that you do promoting women's sport. Thanks. Thank you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.